Well, that was very fun. Thank you for being here and hearing that testimony. It's amazing how the Lord does that. Just kind of filled you with the Holy Spirit, and there you are. All in. And we're all in, too, with you. So would you stand? We're, we're going to be in Leviticus chapter 1. I'm going to read the first nine verses that we'll look at this morning. I was hoping to do three chapters this morning. And then in my studying over the last week, I got down to one. And this morning, I got down to the nine verses to begin with. So how do you like that? <laughs> Here it is. A life wholly surrendered to God. We're going to look at half of this uh, this morning. So in Leviticus chapter 1 and verse 1. Now the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the livestock, of the herd, and of the flock. If his offering is a burnt offering of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. Then he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. He shall kill the bull before the Lord and the priests. Aaron's son shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood all around on the altar, that is, by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. The sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire on the altar and lay the wood in order on the fire. Then the priests, Aaron's sons, shall lay the parts the head and the fat in order on the wood that is on the fire upon the altar. But he shall wash, his, wash its entrails and its legs with water. And the priest shall burn all on the altar as a burnt offering, a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. So Father, we're thankful for your word, live and powerful, inspired, inerrant, infallible for every, everything that has to do with life. You've given to us your word, and every time we read it, every time we hear it, memorize it, think of it, you are speaking to us, and we are so thankful for your word. In fact, even that song we sang, your name, but you said you've exalted your word above your name. So we know it's important. We know we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. So give us ears to hear, I pray this morning. Bless this time. The things that I prepared, break them fresh. Feed us, we're hungry. We know that our faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When we get in the word of God, we're gonna be hearing from you. So please bless this time in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. You can be seated. So I hope you'll keep your Bibles open and we'll put all the other uh, passages on the screen. So follow me. So an introduction, a little bit introduction to the book. Leviticus means pertaining to the Levites. Leviticus was the first book, listen to this, of the first book that a Jewish child would learn. Now, I think for us, it's usually the, the last book. <laughs> it's referred to in the New Testament 40 times. I think it's important to note that many Christians never read, much less learn, the timeless truths given to us by the Holy Spirit, in this case, in the book of Leviticus. Now, it may not seem very engaging at first. I'm asking God to change that as we go through this book. This book, as well as all the books of the Bible, were given for our learning that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. And Paul also writes, all these things happen as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So this is for us. This book is, the Bible is. So Leviticus follows Exodus. 
that people are already in covenant relationship with God. Exodus, with an outstretched arm and great judgments, God redeemed Israel out of their bondage in Egypt and established them as a kingdom of priests and a holy nation to him. That we already stu- we studied Exodus. That's what happened. Leviticus now, the Israelites are learning how to fulfill their holy priestly calling as individuals and as a nation. In Exodus, God approaches man, Moses. In Leviticus, we're learning how man is to approach God. So the title, the theme of this whole book is the way to walk with God. The way to God, verses one, uh, chapters 1 through 16, and then the way to God, 17 through 27, or the walk with God, 17 to 27. So in Exodus, what we read is in ma, uh, ma, ma, <laughs> I don't know what we're reading. A monumental and massive act that God did in in rescuing them from Egypt. In Leviticus, it's this lifelong process of approaching God as he continually and mercifully rescues us from ourselves. He rescued us from the world. Now, in Leviticus, them from Egypt. Now, he's, he's giving them the book of Leviticus and how he will then rescue them from themselves and also, also us. In Exodus, God's redemption and deliverance and Leviticus, Israel's dedication and service to him. In Exodus, his people were saved. In Leviticus, his people are sanctified. In Leviticus, we're learning how to continue in a life of purity and holiness to the Lord. Now, it must be kept in mind also that these people, this whole thing that we're reading about, lived by faith. These things given to them by God, they, they exercised them by faith. They were done in offering these offerings by faith. They were believing God according to his word. They were believing God's promises according to his word. They were believing God's laws according to his word. Believing God's judgments according to his words. So what has God said? We do well to line up with it. Would you say amen? That's the word of God. All the sacrifices were offered in faith for what God had provided. They were offered in believing that the innocent animal became God's provision for their atonement, their forgiveness, and their need for continual cleansing. It's Leviticus. The law that God gave Moses included all these things, the priesthood, all these sacrifices, all these things until, praise the Lord, Jesus came and fulfill them all. So in these things, we have shadows and types. The book of Leviticus serves as a handbook, and this literally for the Levitical priesthood, but then for us to learn from. So the Israelites encamped before Mount Sinai about a year. Moses spent some 80 days on the mountain with God. God gave Moses instructions for their personal and national life centered on the tabernacle. It's it's the application of God now having redeemed them. Now, what do we do? It's the provision of God by which, listen, this is for us. It is the provision of God by which he would joyfully dwell among them. That's what God wanted to do. Joyfully, as we'll see. So the Levites, one tribe of the 12, was set aside apart by God for the work of the tabernacle for, for the people. One family, the Levites, of the Levites, Aaron and his sons were set apart to God to be priests. 
The rest of the families of the Levites were to be assistants to the priests. Their duties were the care of the tabernacle and later the care of the temple and to be teachers, scribes, musicians, officers, and judges, the Levites. So in Numbers, we get the not so good outworking of this wandering, while they're wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, tabernacle there and what was happening among them. Lots of problems surrounded by lots of God's faithful love. Same for us. Lots of problems. Thankfully, we have the faithfulness of God in our lives. Amen? He is faithful to his word. So in Numbers, we read verse, chapter 3. These are the names of the sons of Aaron, the anointed priests, whom, we, whom he consecrated to minister as priests. Nadab and Abihu had died before the Lord when they offered profane fire before the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. We'll get that in Leviticus chapter 10. And they had no children. So Eleazar and Ithamar ministered as priests under the oversight of Aaron, their father. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, bring the tribe of Levi near and present them before Aaron, the priest, that they may serve him. And they shall attend to his needs and the needs of the whole congregation before the tabernacle of meeting to do the work of the tabernacle. Also, they shall attend to all the furnishings of the tabernacle of meeting and to the needs of the children of Israel and to do the work of the tabernacle. And you shall give the Levites to Aaron and his sons. They are given entirely to him from among the children of Israel. That is their lifelong job. So you shall appoint Aaron and his sons, and they shall attend to their priesthood. But the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. So there it is, num numbers. Now it's been said that it took only one night for God to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt. It took him 40 years to deliver the Israelites, to deliver Egypt, get, get Egypt out of the Israelites. And this is what was going on for 40 years in the tabernacle. And God ordained this. This is all of God. It came from God, not man. This is God given that he might dwell among his people. So we read in, in Haley's Bible handbook, quote, the sacrificial system of divine origin was placed of God at the very center and heart of Jewish national life. Whatever its immediate applications and implications may have been to the Jews, the unceasing sacrifice of animals and the never-ending glow of altar fires beyond doubt were designed of God to burn into their consciousness, into the consciousness of men, a sense of their deep sinfulness. Now we apply this to us. To burn into our consciousness a sense of our deep sinfulness and to be an age-long picture of the coming sacrifice of Christ toward whom they pointed and in whom they were fulfilled, unquote. So as we go through this, mor this morning, four of eight of these pictures, they point us to Christ every time. He is the fulfillment and he is our access to God, unhindered, except by sin. And so we start in this study by setting back in place by way of reminder there are some timeless truths that we must begin with. Number one, no outward religious motions can make anyone, not a single person, right before God. No outward religion can do that. That's the difference between Christianity and every other religion. All the other ones are, how do I get to God? How do I make it good so I'm good with God? Not Christianity and not what's going on here with God's people before the only true God who rescued them. Man's religion is sinful pride, thinking that we can make ourselves right before a holy God. We cannot. They, can, they could not. And 
the beautiful thing is, brothers and sisters, that God's the one who designed it. God's the one who brought it to them. God's the one who sent Jesus for us. We enter into what God did and what God wants to do for us in our lives. You say amen. amen. I say woo, yeah. Man's religion is finite futility, thinking he can reach out and take hold of the infinite God. If God didn't reveal himself to us because of sin, we would never know who he is. We wouldn't know what he's like. We wouldn't know any of those. But God did that for you and for me. Can I hear an amen again? I say, whoo. <laughs> man's religion, listen. Man's religion governs many a sinner's life. But only Jesus can give that person life. That is eternal life. And Jesus said, this is eternal life. They may know him, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom he sent. Eternal life is not a length of time. Eternity has no time. Eternal life is a quality of life in being in in relationship with God, which he created us to be. That's eternal life. That's a quality of life unknown except to be born again by the Spirit of God. To the most religious men of his day, Jesus said this, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me, and you will not, but you will not willing to come to me that you may have life. You can know the Bible and not have life. You can keep all those laws and statutes and judgment and not have life. You can be the most religious, moral person in the whole world and not have life. The question is have you come to Jesus? He said, you search the scriptures, and people, scholars, search the scriptures, but they never see Jesus for them in the scriptures. And there are a lot of very smart people, educated people, scholarly people who are living in the throes of death because they will not come to Jesus. Many choose a religion for their life, but few choose to be reconciled by his life. And to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ means that he changes my life radically in a moment of time. There's a key verse, Leviticus 19.2. Speak to all the congregation, the children of Israel, and say to them, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. That's the difference. Holiness simply means set apart to God for his purposes. It doesn't mean we shine and have halos means we're set apart to God for his purposes. That's a holy life. Peter picked this up. He said, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it's written, be holy for I am holy. 21 times in Leviticus, be holy. Be set apart to God for his purposes. And Leviticus is going to show us just how that works, how that happens in in pictures in these first few chapters. So many things do not specifically apply to us today, but much certainly does. Leviticus reveals the character of God. He is holy. He is gracious. He is merciful. He is forgiving. Leviticus reveals the nature of sin and the, really the danger, if undealt with, its consequences. Do we not need this book or what? Leviticus reveals principles, spiritual laws of the way to walk with God. I'm sad for people who say the Old Testament doesn't count anymore, doesn't apply anymore. I have a theological term for that. Baloney, yes. (laughs) It reveals the need for obedience. 
leading to blessing and fruitfulness by God in our lives. Abide in me and I in you, Jesus said. Stay at it is how I put it. Stay at it. Walk with God. Get to God. And we're going to look at that this morning, at least in part. None of these sets forth in specific formal fashion the meaning of a particular sacrifice, but many things are said that give us considerable guidance. The offerings were in type and symbol, substitutionary. Making atonement for sin, penalty paid and guilt removed, that's atonement. In Hebrews, it's these copies, it says, in Hebrews 8, Hebrews 8, 5, who serve a, the copy and shadow of the heavenly things. In Hebrews, for the law having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. Now we're going to look at this whole idea of perfection this morning in the first sacrifice. Hebrews 10, he goes on. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers once purified would have no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there's a reminder of sin every year. So those sacrifices were reminding them of sin every year at the Day of Atonement. For it is not possible that the blood, the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. There's a need further than all that God gave to the children of Israel over years and years of sacrifice to drill it in that sin needs a sacrifice. There needs to be a substitution. There needs to be a sacrifice for sin. Sin, the wage of sin is death, and we need a Savior. So it's drilling it in and drilling it in and drilling it in, reminding us of sin, them of sin every year, the Day of Atonement, that one time, and the high priest went in there by himself, under great understanding, you better, you better have done what God told you to do before you come in there or you're toast. And Hebrews picks that up. In Colossians it says, these things are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. If you don't have the substance, you don't have a shadow. But know that the substance of all these things, of these shadows and types, is Jesus himself. And listen, we're living on the other side of the cross. We just got done in Mark studying about the cross, the dividing line, what God did on the cross for you and for me. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the what? World. Sufficient is his sacrifice where all these other ones were not. They were just pictures and types and reminders over and over again that the wage of sin is death, that that. Sin needs a sacrifice, and Jesus Christ is that sacrifice. And I say, whoo, <laughs> praise the Lord. So Jesus is God's righteous servant. Jesus is God's perfect sacrifice. Jesus is God's man's perfect substitute. Jesus is man's one mediator. Jesus is our great high priest. I hope every Sunday we leave with our eyes fixed on Jesus. You talk to a new mother about her child, you will before long find yourself in a warm communion together. You talk to God about his son, before long you will know the greatest intimacy possible for a human being, fellowship with God. Let's talk about Jesus. Jennifer Rothschild said, quote, if you just read Leviticus on the surface, you may think it's just a bunch of grumpy, irrelevant rules. But it's actually the way God gave his people access to himself. Awesome. 
Jesus is the way that God gave us access to himself. So Leviticus 1 through 16, the way to God, sacrifice and priestly mediation. It's coming to know and worship God. In the chapters 17 through 27 is the walk with God, the separation and obedience. So the Day of, the day of Atonement, chapter 16, and d- launches into chapters 17 through 27, which is the walk with God. It's learning to walk in holiness with God. So to jump right in, Leviticus chapter one, now the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the livestock, of the herd and of the flock. So we'll look at that in chapter one, it's just of the herd, the ox. So the burnt offering is a life wholly surrendered, the picture of that, a life wholly surrendered to God. In other words, the whole offering goes up to God. There's none for the priest and none for the worshiper. It's all God. You might say the whole thing goes up in smoke as a sweet aroma to God, consumed. The grain offering, the offering goes to God and the priest. In the peace offering, it goes to God, the priest, and the worshiper. So we'll be getting into those those pictures there for us. So the burnt offering, a life wholly consecrated, surrendered to God. Now I think that it's important, I think it's very encouraging that, the first, that this is the first offering that God gives to them because I believe it's the most precious to God. God did not begin his instruction with a sin offering or the trespass offering. He started with a burnt offering, consecration to God, holy, holy consecrated to God, holy surrendered to God. The picture is God's desire that we would be wholly surrendered to him and the beauty that we have in that relationship in being so surrendered. It signifies the worshiper surrendering his life in consecration to God. That's what God provides for us in Christ as the fruit of This is eternal life. They may know him, the only true God. Your life would be fully surrendered to God. And I find that must be a daily process, a daily decision, as we'll look at it a little this morning. So this first offering in verse three, in his offering of a, if his offering is a burnt offering of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish, He shall offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. Then he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. So some of the pictures for us. Number one, it's a picture of a perfection without blemish. Now, this is a perfection, not mine or yours, but his. That's the picture. A blemish means acquired or inherited defect or spot. Jesus had neither. Jesus offered himself without spot to God for us. So in 2 Corinthians, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God through him. How are we righteous before God? It's through him who who knew no sin knew no sin. Hebrews 9, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offer himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. 
First Peter 1, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold for your former manner of life, but with the precious blood of Christ, notice, as, a, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Perfect, sinless. First Peter 2.22, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. First John, and you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. So this perfection, it's a picture of a perfection without blemish, not mine, but his. Can I offer such to God? Can I offer to him a holy life without blemish? Yes, I can. How? by putting my faith in what Jesus has done for me. Don't you be misled in two ways. There's no such thing as us arriving at sinless perfection. There used to be a doctrine that was very prevalent, this sinless perfection. I have a theological term for that too. You want to hear it? <laughs> That's baloney. The Bible never teaches that. In fact, it teaches just the opposite. We have this battle going on between our sinful flesh and the Holy Spirit. And the, si- the spirit lusts against the flesh, the flesh against the spirit. And these two are contrary to one another, so we don't do the things that we want to do. Paul in, in Romans chapter 7 says, the things I want to do, I don't do. He's a believer. He's saved. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He says, the things I want to do, I'm not doing. And the things I don't want to do, that I'm doing. What is my problem? And he, ra- he realizes there's this law of sin. This operation of sin in our lives, and we need help. So Paul said, who will deliver me? He said, thank God through Jesus Christ. He began looking outside of himself, because inside, we don't have it. And I know, he said, I know that in my flesh, nothing good dwells. So can I offer to God a holy life? Yes. By faith, I surrender myself to Jesus. And I must continually come back to that by faith. My ability or my capacity or my anything is going to be because I'm in relationship with Jesus Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit and walking in the Spirit. And so I encourage you, as I have before, read Romans 1 through 8. Learn these things about walking in the Spirit, about the law of sin and death, about the law of life in Christ Jesus, about what that all means to us now as believers. And how do I walk with God? What's the way to God? So Jesus is the perfect perfecter of your life and my life. He is the wonder worker in me. In Psalm 138, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, how does he do it? Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. How do I do that? By the mercies of God, I present myself to God. Romans chapter 12 I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, notice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, or literally, it's your reasonable service of worship. It just makes sense. Present your bodies as living sacrifices. Not dead, living sacrifices. Holy, acceptable, which is, it just makes sense. Now, what, what, what's the battle? And do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That is possible. That we, can, we can experience that by faith through the power of the Holy Spirit, taking God at his word and begin to apply myself to the things that God has said by faith. By believing that God chose me 
in Jesus to be holy and without blemish before him. Ephesians chapter one, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be what? Holy and without blame before him in love. By believing Jesus loves me and sanctifies me and cleanses me by the washing of the word. This is the application. I need to be having the word washing over my life continuously. The picture for this is in marriage, where Paul says, husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Why? That he may present her to himself, that he may sanctify and cleanse her by the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not even spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Jesus loves you. Dear believer, Jesus sanctifies you. Jesus cleanses you because you're his bride. And he's working in you. How does that work? The word of God. Cleansing you as his special bride. It's by believing that Jesus reconciled me to God through the cross to present me holy. Again, Colossians, and you who are alienated enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. And that's what matters. Does God see you trusting him, believing him, taking in his word, Asking me to fill with the Holy Spirit. Allowing these things to wash over. And then in response to that, seeking to be obedient by the power of the Holy Spirit. Seeking to allow him to change you and transform you by the renewal of your mind. And you know, that's where the battle takes place for this battle, for this thing we're, we're, we're running after, is the mind. What are you putting in your mind? What washes through your mind? See, it will have everything to do with a holy life. Here's one for you, Jude. Now to him was able to keep me from stumbling, present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. And I say, amen. He will present us faultless. Only he can. In Ephesians it says, for by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship. Somebody told me one time, I should put a sign around my, and then when he said it, I said, well, you need to do that on yours too. You put around the God's at work. There's a lot of flaws, a lot of things he's working on in my life, in your life. And he's doing these things. So I am wholly surrendering to his perfecting work in my life. How does that happen? I'm wholly surrendering to his perfecting work in my life. That's the perfection that we're looking at. The second one, in this burnt offering, look at verse three. If his offering is a burnt offering, he shall offer it of his own free will. So the second picture in this for me, and I'm sharing with you, it's a picture of a decision, his own free will. But that's not his decision, it's my decision. The first one was not me perfecting, my perfection, but his. This one is my decision according to how I want my life to go. Jesus never changed his mind about going to the cross as a ransom for our sin, never. Now, he had his understanding. 
said, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it up again. Jesus said in John 4, 34, my food is to do the will of God, the will of him who sent me, and to finish his work. I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. See, it's a choice. It was for Jesus. He never made the wrong choice. We do. So the question is whole, the way to God, this whole, a whole a life wholly surrendered to God, there's a decision we have to make. Am I gonna do the will of God or am I gonna do my own will? And that brings forth two, two directions. Jesus said, he went a little further in the garden, fell on the ground and prayed that if it was possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you, what will, you, what you will. John 12, 37, my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour of the cross. For this reason, I came to this hour. Philippians, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And we are told continuously, take up your cross. What's the decision? It's how I'm gonna live my life. Am I gonna live my life according to the will of God or am I gonna exercise my own will? And I'll tell you, that's a battle. Would you say amen? Jesus battled it, we battle it all the time. So the question of being wholly surrendered to God is whose will am I, what am I gonna choose? I can choose between, I must choose between God's will and my will. My decision to surrender my will to his no matter what the cost. So in this whole decision, his own free will, I'm wholly surrendering my will to God's will. My will to do his will. Third one, third picture. The picture of identification, where he says, put his hand on the head of the sacrifice. Putting his hand on his head by this act, the worshiper, number one, identified himself with the animal as his substitute. And then also transferred his sin to the sacrifice, which was then killed, its blood poured out, and atonement made for the sinner. In the picture of the burnt offering, the offerer is saying, just as this animal is wholly given to God on the altar, so I wholly give myself to the Lord. Now there's more, because Jesus, being found as a man, he came and, ha- and fully identified with mankind. He became one of us. He became human, the incarnation. He lived a sinless life. He died for our sin. He defeated sin and death and the devil. And then he rose again from the dead victorious. Now, don't you think we ought to identify with him? We have no power to do anything about our sin, much less death. And we have no power to raise ourselves up again. But I know someone who does. His name is Jesus who wholly consecrated himself to doing the will of the Father, which meant the cross. It didn't end there, but it meant that. He did that for you and for me, that we might identify with what he accomplished for us, and then 
understand that after the cross is resurrection. There is no resurrection if there's no death. So a life wholly surrendered to God is saying, I'm going to identify with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection because in him I have life. So baptism, by faith, we identify with Jesus in his death and resurrection. We're going to be having one on Easter. So this identifying with the innocent ox or the lamb, goat, or bird, I thought, well, what would that mean? Here's some thoughts from my thoughts. The ox, Jesus' strength, the ox was was a picture of strength. His strength slain and then rose victorious over sin. In the lamb and the goat, Jesus is the substitute sacrifice who takes away my sin. The bird, pictures of, of Jesus came from heaven to die on a cross for my sin. So in baptism, we have this picture, this identifying, that we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. We don't have the time for the scriptures there, but read Romans 6. We have the baptism. It's always, I love this when I do baptism. So when you go under the water, that's the putting to death of your old life. And I'll always say, so some of you are going to have to hold under a pretty long time. <laughs> until the bubbles come. <laughs> and then coming out of the water is the picture of a new life that we should live in newness of life. God given to us a brand new life. You must be born again by the Spirit of God. Now that's something by faith we understand and then we must live that out by identifying with Jesus all along the way. I'm wholly surrendering myself to God as being alive from the dead and my members as instruments of righteousness to God that by the grace of God I will not let sin reign in my body or have a dominion over me. I've got to come back to Jesus. So in this picture, I'm wholly surrendering to my new life in Christ. One more, and then we're going to do communion. This fourth one, we'll get the next four next week. It will be accepted. So this picture of substitution now. Accepted to make atonement for him. In other words, God's acceptance on the base of Jesus' sacrifice. God's provision. Now, in a book called You Are a Theologian, which we're using for a men's, my son's men's stu- uh, small group on Saturday nights, Wilkin English write this, quote, the doctrine of the atonement teaches that Jesus' death accomplished the following. It was a substitute for just penalty. It satisfied the wrath of God. It cleansed our impurity. It granted us righteousness. It reconciled us to God forever. It defeated death on a cosmic level. And I say, woo! One more quote. The atonement of Jesus Christ outweighs, surpasses, and transcends every other mortal event, every new discovery, and every acquisition of knowledge. For without the atonement, all else in life is meaningless. So in Ephesians, we read this. Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy without blemish before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise and the glory of his grace, by which he has made us what? Accepted in the beloved. 
That's what the atonement does. We are accepted. So it's the subject. He, it will be accepted on behalf to make atonement for him. We are accepted by God. So this final thought, I'm wholly surrendering to my acceptance in the beloved. Those are the first four. I'm surrendering to his perfect, perfecting work in my life. I want you to think on this just as we're going to take communion. His perfecting work in my life, I'm surrendering to it. God, go at it. I'm yours. I'm surrendering my will to do his will. Again, we come to communion just to examine ourselves. Is there something on that you can take to God this morning at the cross? I'm surrendering to my new life in Christ. Maybe you need some instruction on that. Maybe you need to be encouraged through the word and the Holy Spirit. on How does that work? Because that's the question that many believers have. How does that work? How do I find that? How do I live that out? It's a lifelong journey. It's a lifelong learning. But start. Maybe that's for you this morning. Surrendering my new life to Christ. And then finally, surrendering to my acceptance in the beloved. Now, I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what's been going on in your life, but I know the devil comes in all the time and he's pounding us down. You know, you've done that so many times. God's done with you and you go, oh. Hold on a second. How are we accepted by God? He made us accepted in the beloved. And receive that as you, take the, as you hold the cup. Receive that. So can we have those passed out? There's a song that is the perfect song for these studies. And I'm gonna ask the team, worship team to come out. But I'm gonna start a cappella and hopefully we'll be on the right key. You're gonna hope I'm on the right key. It's take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. How many know it? Okay, you're, you're the choir. Do you wanna give me a key? Take my... And by the way, as you receive those, just while they're getting ready, these cups are old, and we're finding this out over the last four weeks. They're really hard to open. I had a brother last week, came up, and he had juice all over his shirt. Yeah, and I did the same thing early on. So it has a cellophane thing on the top. Try and get that off first. Take the thing and set aside. But last week, I know several came in and told me they couldn't even open it. So I'm sorry. We're, we're working on getting a whole new thing going on here. So... If, if you can't get it open, that's okay. Just open your heart to God as we sing this song. Take my life. Help me. Take my life and let it Consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. And let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Swift 
my voice and let me sing always only for my king take my lips and let them be my silver and my gold not a might will I withhold take my intellect and use every power as thou shalt choose every power as thou shall choose. Take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my heart, it is thine own. It shall be thy shall be thy royal throne. Take my love, my Lord, I pour at thy feet its treasure store. Take myself and I will be hearts 